Welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley. This is a podcast about global health and human rights. We explore global health challenges, particularly infectious disease, and how societies adapt, make sense, and respond to them. Whether it's with new biomedical vaccines, treatments, and prevention technologies, or whether it's with good old-fashioned changes in behavior, very relevant for the current moment. And for those of you who connect with us by video, you'll notice I've shaved my beard, if not my mustache, so I can wear a face mask while out and about. Well, I'm thrilled to announce that A Shot in the Arm podcast is partnering up with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance to bring you a special series, beginning with this episode, that breaks down the latest COVID-19 news and developments. For the next few weeks, we will meet a range of global experts and take you behind the scenes of big decisions with leaders at the forefront of the global response to COVID-19 and global health security. And we'll do this through a unique Bay Area lens that blends tech, biopharmaceutical and academic and non-profit expertise. We will be looking at how we were all in this together, looking at the intersections of human health, our environment and the connectedness of what happens here at home and across the globe. So a few words about the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. It was formed to connect and mobilise the unique talent pool and diverse expertise associated with the Bay Area to maximise the region's impact on global health. Its members are world-class academic institutions, innovative technology and biotech companies, and non-profits. It connects scientists, experts and sectors across the Bay to catalyse innovation and equity in global health. Imagine organizations like the University of California in Berkeley, Davis, San Francisco, Stanford University, Chevron, Facebook, Gilead, Global Impact Advisors, Google, LEK, Public Health Institute, Merck for Mothers, Path and Ending Pandemics, to name just a few, all in a room, or I suppose now in a chat room given our new reality, exploring how we harness our expertise to address challenging global health issues of our times. Now, she's going to kill me for saying this, but the Alliance recently appointed a new executive director, the fantastic Sarah Anderson, who's an incredible leading advocate in global security and development. And she's already making her mark in driving collaborations between the Alliance members and local community. For more information about Sarah and the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, visit its website, www.bayareahealth.org, for more information or connect with them on Facebook and Twitter. And the other thing to say about the Alliance is that in a very real sense, it's a fascinating slice of the global who's who. Mary Pittman, Michelle Barry, Colin Boyle, Steph Batozzi, Anand Reddy, Jonathan Kafuri, Panima Mane. It has an incredible intellectual capital. And it's another of those founding members, John Mazet, that we're going to meet in this episode. Dr. Jonna Mazet is Professor of Epidemiology and Disease Ecology, and she's Executive Director of the One Health Institute at the University of California, Davis. She is a member of the National Academy of Medicine. She is a leader in global health problem solving, especially for emerging infectious disease and conservation challenges. And she is a leading international researcher in disease transmission among wildlife, domestic animals, people, and the ecological drivers of disease emergence. Jonna, welcome to a Shot in the Arm podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's really terrific that you can you can join us now. 
about, I suppose, a month and a half ago, you and I were on plastic boxes in a crowded <laughs> bar in uh, Market Street talking about <laughs> COVID-19 and misinformation. Oh, my gosh, what a different world. A month and a half later, did you expect it to be like this? No, I mean, I'm much more comfortable here, but uh, I feel for all the people who are not in such comfortable quarters. So you're a board member of the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. Um, what are your hopes and dreams for the Alliance? What what can we do? Um, you know, our theme is all in this together, particularly for COVID-19. But yeah. uh, what do you think we can do uh, over the next coming months? Well, I think my hopes and dreams for the Bay Area Global Health Alliance have changed dramatically uh, since I I joined and I've been a supporter for quite some time, but for COVID-19, I think it really is our clarion call and, and we need to be a force for good and we need to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. And that is within our means. We can do that. We can do that together. And, um, and really it, it includes bringing science to the trusted place that it used to be and, um, and then using it, frankly, uh, to be prepared. So you have a career in pandemics preparation, um, you know, the collision of uh, human population growth, uh, the intrusion onto uh, wild wildlife, the um, uh, and and the impact of climate. Um, so, in a sense, we've been seeing that this is something like this is coming. But have we been taken by surprise? Um, and you know, what have we got wrong here? Mm -hmm. Well, a, a couple things. I, I and I'll tell you, I like to come from a hopeful place because I think mm. we need to do something better. And um, I think the the silver lining in this horrible tragedy is that um, we're, the world is listening and um, this virus is terrible, but it's not as deadly as it could be or the next one might be. So um, really what we need to do is we need to understand viruses more fully, similar to um, what centuries of studying bacteria has done for us, we really need to do that for viruses. And of course, I work on the far upstream side, trying to find the hosts of these viruses and all of the transmission interfaces or the circumstances in which spillover happens uh, so that we can identify those, address our behavior around those, and then be ready to detect spillovers even if we can't change our behavior. Now, you, you are part of, and indeed you lead, the PREDICT program at uh, UC Davis, which, congratulations, has just got a formal extension. <laughs> we're really yeah. thrilled about that. And, and, Thank you. And you were um, at the forefront of detecting uh, SARS-CoV-2, the, the, the virus that caused COVID, causes COVID-19, and you helped discover that, um, I guess, in patients, the first patients outside of China. Um, and you've got- Not me personally, actually. Let me just say, uh, the PREDICT teams in all of the countries where we were working were, did end in September 2019. Their funding ended and the project ended. And the amazing 
um, scientists in the laboratory that was the partner laboratory of PREDICT, uh, the Wuhan Institute for Virology, did find this virus uh, and did detect it at the very beginning. And then our other wonderful teams around China in other countries um, used the PREDICT platform to detect SARS-CoV-2 before we called it SARS-CoV-2 and before we had a full sequence using the PREDICT platform in places like Nepal and um, Thailand and others. So certainly uh, that happened, but they were volunteering. They came back to support, just like we're talking about with the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, they were coming back voluntarily to support their countries. Now we are um, in an extension phase that has some funding and we'll, we're really thrilled to be able to support all of those countries to continue to do this uh, assistance using now the better test because we have the sequence. And yeah, that's an absolutely important clarification. Again, all in this together. One of the things, if I've got it right, that you're going to be looking at is what happens in um, Africa and the Middle East. And I wondered if I could just pick your brain about Africa for a moment. I mean, yeah. for those of us who've spent our careers trying to help strengthen the health infrastructure in sub-Saharan Africa, particularly, we're a little worried how do you see this playing out? Uh, and will we see a sort of a next wave hitting Africa in the sort of June, July time? Well, it's hitting now, but it's early days. And um, again, I'm thrilled to be able to say that our predict scientists in Africa um, we're at the cutting edge of looking for these viruses, especially coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. Some of our predict scientists uh, in their countries are the only people that ever had a publication, for example, on a coronavirus, or only people that were trained to do molecular virology for emerging threats from wildlife. So we're seeing those scientists that worked on PREDICT being on their national task forces. And I believe partly because of that, they are um, really being much more proactive in some of those countries, um, especially than we were here. And so they are already social distancing to the extent possible, sheltering in place. Um, I'm on uh, Zoom with people in those countries every day. We've already done an uh, echo platform yep. um, to, to it, that had um, people from uh, 50 countries participating uh, to, to try and talk about the what's known so far. And now we're going to do another one really soon, next week or the week after, um, to start to talk about community surveillance and contact tracing. So I think actually, uh, they're being more proactive and better prepared, partly because they had a little bit more time, but they are seeing introduced cases and they're being um, uh, really prudent and careful about that. And, and from the community mobilization side, we see incredible um, advocacy and getting accurate information out, which uh, we, could, we could really benefit from here. Yeah, and getting ready to test yeah, and, exactly. and being able to test. I mean, that was really our... Our downfall here yeah. um, is not not having systems that were resilient and responsive to the unknown. And that is what we don't need to have happen ever again. We can have our systems set up to be able to have emergency surge capacity and pull in experts. We are rich with experts, but we need a way to bring them in. Yeah, ab absolutely. 
One of the things that at this crowded bar session for the <laughs> Bay Area Global Health Alliance at the start of a DevEx uh, conference, one of the things that you, KX, and I were talking about was the need to get accurate information out and 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 um, tackle misinformation. And you had just been a leading signatory of a letter um, that had... Uh, uh, I think gone to the Lancet, gone to the medical press, Correct. really yeah. emphasizing mm -hmm. the importance that this was a natural virus, that there was no conspiracy theory here. Correct. Can you can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, whenever something scary and shocking comes, uh, people want to find it's human nature. If we want to find someone to blame, and uh, that's that's unfortunately the human condition. Um, and there are things to blame. We're traveling heavily on this earth. We're treading too hard on our planet. We, there are a lot more humans than there ever have been or that I bet your grandparents and mine would have ever expected there would be. Uh, and we're, we're pushing into environments. We're using our environments differently. Um, we're we're taxing our trade systems, and that has an effect on global health security, biosafety, biosecurity. So it makes sense to me that people wanted to jump to that concern. Mm. Um, certainly, I don't think anyone in China, even if we take the science out of it, would want to do anything to their own people. But I did start to get, you know, Twitter trolls and others, you know, criticizing that actually it was this thing was made in a, a U.S. lab. And, yeah. You know, um, everybody wants someone to blame. In this case, we can blame humanity for um, not not being more gentle or caring as much about how we impact the earth. That has all kinds of implications for climate and everything else. Um, but nobody made this virus. It evolved along with its hosts, almost certainly bats, and then it spilled over. Mm -hmm. And it will be some time before we fully understand we can track that spillover, but all the scientists that work on this need to be helping with the human to human spread right now. So it will be some time before we really get a handle on how that spillover occurred. And and I think, you know, part of the problem is uh, we have to accept that very often when people ask us questions about COVID-19 and the spread of it, the answer is, I don't know. And um, this can be a challenge. You and I have worked on complex infectious diseases all of our lives where, where medical science, Western medical science, hasn't necessarily immediately had those answers. So, yeah. so maybe we're more prepared for it. But what yeah. do we say to a, a community, to a society that is used to having doctors, having the answers? Um, and how do we build trust and communication in an environment where we just have to say, look, guys, we don't know yet? Well, getting the right information out and being honest, I think we have to acknowledge their frustration, our frustration. And frankly, I've been talking with their physicians as well. Because And, and people, it, again, start to blame their physicians who are doing the absolute best they can. They are the heroes in this situation. They're putting themselves and their families at risk in a situation where they have very little certainty. So the more science we can do, the better to help support them. And they have to implement the guidelines that they're given. We need to be working on those guidelines and making them stronger, which is why I'm very pleased a, a 
just a, over three weeks ago, I was asked to join um, a new standing committee of the National Academies um, to really consult on COVID, but not just COVID, to be ready for the next one. So I think that was forward thinking of the academies in response to the White House saying, let's bring in the scientists, maybe a little late, but better late than never. Um, they had great scientists in the agencies, but I think it's really important to bring in groups like we represent through the Barry Global Health Alliance, bring in the academics. Nobody, you know, can be an expert in everything. And so we need to bring in the people that study these things when when these tragedies occur. And, and it sort of points out something to me, which I guess has been on show really since the start of the year, a sort of, how shall I put this, Anglo-American hubris that we don't need to bother that, you know, we won't be affected, that our public health systems are OK and we can handle anything mm. that, that's thrown at them. Um, again, one of the things I love about the Bay Area Global Health Alliance is that it brings in nonprofits, not only those that work internationally, but those that work work at home. And I'm on the board of a few of those. And, you know, we're struggling to get uh, personal protective equipment, ironically, trying to import it from China, but we're trying to bring it in. And um, I, I guess, you know, my my question is, is there something, do you think, about the fact that we are at the top of the food chain in society that makes it harder mm -hmm. for us uh, to prepare for pandemics? I uh, maybe I think the hubris is right, but I also think that one of the big problems is that we've um, really developed our systems so to such an advanced level. And this is true just even in medical care, right? We've developed our systems so high, high and complex that we are not looking holistically. So in our US government system, you can speak to some of the others, but in our US government system, we're very siloed and we built wonderful, amazing teams for pathogen, one, pathogen two, pathogen three, and they were siloed up. Mm. And then we said, you agency, you are responsible for this and this other agency is responsible for that. And we didn't really have a way to bring them all together, which is what One Health and what I've been championing for two decades now um, is really about. It's really about bringing together those disciplines, having a way to convene them rapidly, having a way to have mutual respect and language. Um, you have to do that in the front. You have to do it before these things happen. Um, many of the countries that we talked about earlier in PREDICT, they have, because we've been working and doing all of this um, prep work, they have established um, One Health platforms, zoonotic disease task forces. They have the people pre-identified to pull together out of all of those sectors that you mentioned, the NGOs, the academics, the ministries, but they have a whole structure set up in advance. They have sampling in the environment, in the animals, in the people, they have it all um, pre-prepared. We need that. And um, unfortunately, even though we've been calling for the concern that Again, human nature uh, just had us addressing what we just saw uh, with Ebola, Zika, and had us worrying financially about many other things other than diseases. And it's not until something tragic happens um, that we respond. But the world is listening. Let's take advantage of it and get this set up now.
I think if there's anything that we have learned from this this moment, however long that moment is, is that pandemics preparation and global health solidarity is is more important than ever. It's possibly one of the most important things um, at the start of the 21st century in such an interconnected yeah. world. Um, Absolutely. So I wanted to ask you a question, and I know this is going to age us, age us in only that <laughs> the field is moving so rapidly and guidance will have changed. You don't know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as well as, as I said, the joys of modern technology. We 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 all look like we're on TikTok, right? Yeah, you can see my wrinkles. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, face masks. Yes. Uh, to face mask or not to face mask? That uh -huh. is the question. What does the science say we should be doing? So uh, I mentioned the standing committee of the National Academies, um, and um, that committee has been doing a wonderful job just in three weeks. I think we've responded to 11 task orders already requests for expert consultation. And um, many may have seen yesterday that our chair, Harvey Feinberg, sent a letter to the White House in response about face masks. And the evidence is showing that um, while we absolutely know droplets are the most important transmission source, we also can identify that there's a bit more going on um, than we had originally thought. So we had originally, uh, and I say we, the scientific community, had originally been much more concerned about surfaces and transmission from surfaces. And that's why the hand washing works. All that still works. But there's some new evidence that um, droplets, even just micro droplets, when you and I talk to each other, if we were in the same room, so I'm glad you're there and I'm here, but, uh, but droplets from talking in the air may also be transmitting virus. And so face masks may actually be quite um, helpful in getting this thing under control. And we need to protect our healthcare workers and our um, essential workforce that's out there and has to interact with us at the post office, at the grocery store, those heroes keeping us all going. Um, they need the, the, the N95 or yeah. the masks that, that, that really are going to protect them from everything. But the rest of us who are going out now and then can do some extra precautionary measures in addition to the hand washing by covering our faces and making sure that we don't, even if we're trying to stay at a distance, we don't get too close and share air or, um, or other things uh, with people talking to us. So, uh, so it's, it's a good idea if you have a bandana, whatever you um, have, uh, if you're going out or interacting outside of your household with people, protect yourself. It's an abundance of caution. Yeah. And and we'll have on uh, a Shot in the Arm podcast uh, designs that uh, people who have sewing machines at home can uh, use yeah. to help prepare and, and, and make their own um, uh, face masks during, uh, during this time of isolation. So I, I know that some of my colleagues in the AIDS field will be rolling my eyes when I ask you this question. But, um, you know, the early years of the AIDS response does come to mind here. We, we had nearly 15 years to cope without the emergence of antiretrovirals, the, the cocktail mm -hmm. that brought mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the end of of uh, of, of of dying so rapidly from HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I wish it had. I wish I hadn't had to go through that experience. But it marked us all horribly. Positive, mm-hmm. whether you're positive or negative. Mm-hmm. But the mm-hmm. point is, we got through this. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I wanted to just ask you what you think the lessons of AIDS and indeed Ebola and Zika are mm-hmm. as we as we work through this period. Well, we will get through this, um, but that doesn't bring solace to the families who live, lose loved ones, and and that's going to happen. Um, for heaven's sakes, we can't let the decades go by that went by with HIV. Uh, and, um, and we need better information, um, that we've, we've learned a lot, but we've also not changed our behavior very much. And that's the concern. We've learned that these viruses, HIV from non-human primates, SARS, MERS, this one, uh, from bats, possibly through intermediate hosts, we've learned a lot but we don't change our behavior. Um, And now's the time to really figure that out. I actually am really happy to be the head now of something called the One Health Workforce Next Generation. Uh, And that is a consortium trying to change curricula all over the world, especially again, outside of our own country. I hope we can do it here too, but I'm funded to do it outside of our own country to bring again, that mutual respect across disciplines and cross training um, for emerging infectious diseases, antimicrobial resistance, these kinds Mm. of things. So um, I think there is enough momentum, but for goodness sakes, technology has accelerated. Let's accelerate ourselves and our thinking as well. So, Jonna, you you are a veterinarian by training, and and I also guess, an epidemiologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. it's really interesting, I think, to understand your journey, how you got here sure. to be so heavily involved in in global public health. I mean, clearly there is that that um, that leap from animals to humans with with uh, with disease. But but what's your journey? What drove you? Well, I started uh, my journey for veterinary medicine because I wanted to save species. It was really about conservation for me. And um, my first job after my PhD, and I'd just like to give a little um, thank you to those who went before me at UC Davis and created really this One Health program many decades, 50 years before we started saying One Health, they created a program where we trained in epidemiology and public health with human, animal, and environmental experts and mathematicians, frankly, all at the same time. So that's my my PhD. I was exposed to human cancer risk, all of that at the same time as animal risk. So I had that training, but I was really applying it using my veterinary background to conservation. Um, And uh, in doing that, I ended up getting into emergency response, um, which keeps me now even today, obviously in emergency response, but it was emergency response for oil spills. So I was doing oil spill work. You might remember another one that will date us back to the late 80s, uh, Exxon Valdez. And I helped um, to build a network of oil spill response for the state of California for wildlife. And while working on those wildlife species, um, I, I 
again, was fighting for their conservation, but uh, we were discovering collaboratively in this One Health approach that there were many diseases flowing from land to sea, what we call pathogen pollution. And frankly, we were still in the midst of the height of the AIDS confusion, and we were seeing those same pathogens affecting and killing our, our patients with HIV AIDS. So it really brought that together to me and said to say, wow, something needs to be done differently. And we were doing One Health, but we weren't calling it One Health then. Um, but that's where really where it started for me with emerging pathogens and thinking about the, le the linkages of human and animal health and the environmental drivers for that, like flowing from human populations, growth, expansion in our coastal communities here in California, uh, flowing off and making sea otters sick while well, sea otters eat sushi. And that's uh, really what um, I said, oh, boy, we've got some big issues to yeah. deal with. And, and it took me in this direction. It's thank you for that. It is so interesting. Again, the Bay Area Global Health Alliance mantra of we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my journey into this was um, through through community service back in London in in 1989 with um, refugees from Eastern Africa settling uh, in in London and discovering that mums and and their babies were uh, having the same opportunistic infections as the gay boys in the city and that was yeah. for me the you know the 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 terrible aha moment that this mm -hmm. truly was a a global pandemic so right. you know it is I, I, again perhaps it's a feature of this era that that yes we ultimately rely on the the clinical science but there is a uh it's how we all apply it it's how we all come together to 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 use it um so i i ask all of my guests this question um how do you stay optimistic what grounds you and what drives you um because i i i need to fight for change and if we don't stay optimistic, how can we um, motivate anybody else to be optimistic? I mean, um, there's so much to bring us down, but I, even in our own team, uh, seeing them set aside some of their other very important work, and we can't do that forever, but set aside to really come together and bring their expertise to this problem, it it gives them a sense of purpose. It can give us all a sense of purpose. And every single citizen, especially in our Bay Area community, every single citizen can contribute to change here. We need to advocate for having better systematic responses and knowing more and for science, frankly. Science has been an enemy for a few years. Um, and uh, that really got me down. Yeah. More, more than this, because this I feel like I can, I can help make a change because people are listening. But for a while, it felt like the science was the enemy, and and that can't be the case because that got us into this. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jonah, another question. I mean, you're very upbeat, very optimistic, uh, but how do we fight compassion fatigue? How do we make sure that we we stay focused and upbeat for the future? Well, that, that's a big challenge. And uh, we can't uh, underestimate the impacts on our mental health um, and the toil this will take on our communities. We know from all the previous 
um, devastating, tragic events like this, that there will be a lot more depression. Um, we will have PTSD in communities and it will be worse and longer lasting in the communities hardest hit. It's already showing that in China. Um, and so we need to be ready for that. So our healthcare heroes include the mental health professionals that are going to need to help us get through this. Um, but, but again, if we can be connected, I think the more that we can use technology, not all of us have great internet connections, um, but most all of us have cell phones. We need to, to figure out how to help people stay connected. Um, people are staying away from their elderly family members for good reason, but those family members need to be able to talk to you. Mm -hmm. So I know it, it sounds silly, but call your grandma. You know, um, it, it needs to be done um, and they need you. Uh, you actually need them when I say call your grandma because uh, they can bring you the wisdom um, uh, have having live in, lived through a lot more tragedies. But um, that it's not um, it's not my area. I don't want to to uh, speak out of turn or out of my discipline, I would bring people in that do this for a living. But um, but I do think if we can all be part of the solution, it can help us stay more positive. Otherwise, we can just think about the misery and being locked in and not being able to see friends and family members. So we have to channel that um, for positive uh, future action. Do you know, I, I ring my parents back in the UK every day and oh, nice. I say, okay, any fever, any shortness of breath, any coughing? And my mother will say, yes, I have a cough. I've had it for 30 years since your cousin's wedding. <laughs> well, humor is also helpful <laughs> for keeping this up. Yeah, you know, uh, I, when people ask me, you know, sometimes I slip into, you know, really you know, this job sounds important. Well, really, it's a dirty job. It belongs on that podcast or TV show rather than yours in that we just swab a lot of butts and gross noses of <laughs> all sorts of species and including people. And that's really how we do this hard work. Um, but it needs to be done. Absolutely. So one other thing, John, is there anything that we haven't covered that you, you think it's important that our subscribers and and listeners and viewers understand and know about COVID at this point? I think let's, um, let's stop the blame game. Let's use the science uh, and let's know that we can come together to stop this from happening again. But that's gonna take change. That's gonna take our recognition that we are inextricably linked with our environment, with animals, with other people uh, and the foods we eat and we need to be um, just thinking more holistically. Um, this is a wake-up call that we're we're not little in our little protected, mm. fancy bubbles in the Bay Area. We're connected with the whole world. We need to care about the whole world, uh, and we need to look for these things and support the communities where they will start, like this one in China. Um, and we need to to not be pointing fingers, but be global citizens. And and perhaps a you know a final bit of concrete advice for us as we get through this period of isolation and yeah. self distancing. How do you get through your days? And particularly, um, do you binge watch anything on TV? And if so, <laughs> what are you watching? <laughs> 
know. You know, everybody's going to ask. I watched Tiger King. Oh. I did. I know it was terrible. It was awful. I cannot recommend it. But uh, I do have my, um, we were very early to decide to um, pull in and shelter in place even before we went on uh, the proverbial lockdown. And we did bring um our adult family, uh, my adult children from New York City who are living there early here to live with us. And, uh, you know, the millennials got me on to Tiger King. And, uh, wow, I see why it dr- drug people in, but yuck. Uh, okay, so that happened. Um, and the rest of what I'm primarily binge watching is uh, is stuff on COVID because I'm trying to be a resource. So stepping away from the nonsense. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm spending a lot of hours doing this. <laughs> well, there's, there's, I, I, I hate to come back to it. We, we watched <laughs> Tiger King in one night, absolutely, yeah. okay. absolutely gripped and horrified. What a train wreck. Uh-huh. But um, but there is an issue here about the way we uh, interact with exotic species and and our relationship Absolutely. to wildlife. That perhaps I don't know. Maybe there's something oh. there for for season two. I don't know. Um, nice segue there. Nice yes, little yes. link. Yeah, yeah. So, it is so, about conservation. And absolutely. Those, none of those people are about conservation. Oh, none of them. No, none of them. <laughs> absolutely yeah. not. Oh, so um, what's your favorite food? What are you eating at the moment? Okay, well, my daughter from New York City is also kind of a gourmet chef. So I am putting on pandemic pounds because she is making the most beautiful, you know, herb stuffed chickens with smashed potatoes. She watches Ina Garden and is making everything. So uh, she made me, you know, beautiful... Um, ragu with gluten-free pasta because I have other diseases. <laughs> so I'm really eating well in, in this pandemic. And and that is something that many of our um, Bay Area community can't say that they're doing. So I, I feel so blessed and I'm really concerned. I'm super supportive of the, the restaurateurs and chefs who are turning their kitchens uh, into um, to develop and give food out to the communities because this this financial crisis is going to hit um, parts of our community so much harder than others. And we all need to do what we can and be in it together on that front as well. Yeah. And 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 indeed, some of our local uh, uh, community members, and I'm thinking of the California Prevention and Education Project, they've been out in Oakland finding the food banks, advertising them on Facebook, live streaming them, getting yeah. onto you know, to YouTube, telling people where the resources are. Um, it's really bringing us together, I think, in an, in an incredible yeah. way. And the essential workers too, even in yeah. our lab that are helping with the labs all around the country. So they have to go to work, uh, can't be sheltering and, and being more careful. And we're trying to figure out how to keep them fed well um, and safely uh, so that they don't have to go out and in and out and in. And, you know, it's it's a big challenge, but we can do it. We can. And what an interesting uh, group of, of frontline workers and heroes from all over society exactly. are, are helping us through this. Yeah. Well, Jonna, please keep up the good work. Um, stay safe and strong. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are a shot in the arm. Uh thank you. Well, you give me one, so I appreciate it. Keep doing it. Well, that's it for this episode. 
Thanks again to John Amazit from UC Davis and to Sarah Anderson from the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. We hope you found the show useful and informative. As always, we would love to know your thoughts on the subject we have covered and issues you think we ought to address. Please contact us through the usual social networks, including Twitter and Facebook at Shot Arm Podcast. Our thanks to our producer and director, Eric Espera of Newsdoc Media, who makes the magic happen. This episode, I'm thinking of Shire Horses. They are a British breed of incredibly strong, powerful and tall horses. And they remind me of the fearless and tireless leaders who have been at the forefront of our response to infectious disease for over 30 years. And who are again taking to the front lines and who again inspire us in these dark times. So whether in the Bay Area, Toronto, London, Johannesburg or Phnom Penh, stay strong and resilient, my friends. And finally, thanks to you for joining us and have a great week and have a safe week, everyone.